This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Somebody that has uh, spent a great deal of time in some of the areas that we're talking about in Eastern Europe. David, thanks so much for getting up early for us. Thank you very much for having me on, Frank. Well, David, uh, you know, we, we were supposed to talk a couple of weeks ago and you missed our appearance. And I was wondering whether or not I should hold it against you. But you came such as a highly recommended guest that I chose not to. And I, and I figure, all right, he's kind enough to get up early for us again. Why don't we see how this works out? But what was your issue a couple of weeks ago when you when you missed our appearance? Were you, did you oversleep? Uh Quite frankly, I forgot that I had the interview because I had too many other things going on. I we hear had, you. Uh, I hear you. We had uh, uh, just launched uh, a new offering in our service, our Volta Private Payments platform, and I was doing a ton of interviews up until about midnight, 2 a.m., and thought, okay, this will be fine. I'll take a quick nap and and slept right through. I hear I you. All right. We won't, we won't, that's okay. We won't hold it against you. We're, we're very forgiving on, on, uh, on this show. All right. Now um, – I want to before we talk about what's happening uh, domestically, you have actually spent a fair amount of time in uh, the Eastern Europe and some of the areas that we've been talking about in the news, right? Uh, Yes, I have. Yeah. I spent uh, uh, many years uh, in Russia and then I actually lived uh, for five years in Kiev uh, between 2007 and 2012. Uh, and spent the next from 2012 to 2019 living in various uh, countries of uh, the CIS, the former Soviet Union. And what um, what brought you there? Why did you why were you living in Russia and in and in Ukraine? I, I like to joke that unemployment brought me there. <laughs> I, I actually have a uh, 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 my bachelor's degree was in Soviet relations, which I got right as the Soviet Union collapsed. So I quite literally was unemployed and uh saw that Russia was opening up. And so I bought a plane ticket and flew to Russia and, and rented a room with a Russian family and uh, learned uh, Russian language in the morning and, and worked in a, in a local office uh, in the afternoon. And over time, ended up starting up my own business over there. And then eventually I came back to the States, got my MBA and uh, went back over there to help manage uh, various U.S. companies' businesses uh, in the former Soviet Union. Wow. So I was uh- the, the American that spoke Russian. That that that's great. Hey, um, what was your? How did you enjoy living in both Russia and in Ukraine? I have to say that I I really enjoy the people over there. You know, the weather is cold. The people are warm. Um, uh, it, it, you know, forget about the government and the bureaucracy and all that stuff. The day to day life much more difficult at times than living in the U.S. because, you know, U.S., you need anything, you just go to the store, you go online, you order it, you get it, right? Uh, it's not always the case uh, o- over there. But I think that type of day-to-day hardship makes the people very, very kind to one another. And, and frankly, they were kind to me, a foreigner. Well, so, that's nice to hear. Uh, that's nice to hear. Now, you know, I, 
Just, just an FYI, I liked it so much that I actually have a wife from Russia. Ah, <laughs> so, very nice. So what, I use my Soviet relations degree every day. <laughs> what's your view and uh, what's your wife's view about what we're seeing here with this uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine? Uh, so I... I, I, I uh, I'm sorry, I know you're a business very, guy. You want everybody yeah. to buy your phone. You can't get, uh, I guess, too political. But, you know, well, I'm no, asking I'll, anyway. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, it's very personal for us because uh, we still have a lot of friends uh, in Ukraine. Um, you know, I have a lot of colleagues. Uh, I worked for many years in Ukraine. I have a lot of colleagues there. And, and actually, my company, Volta Wireless, today, we have a team based in Kiev, or that was based in Kiev, I should say. Uh, 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 it's a part of our company. Uh, and so... Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very personal for us. So we're, we're, so we're obviously very upset by this. We're in constant communications day to day, every day I'm in communications with people in Ukraine and in Russia uh, about what's going on over there. And so it's just, it, it, it's very difficult to, to, to watch this as somebody who knows both of the countries, knows people personally in both of the countries, you know, knows their kids, knows their mothers, you know, it, it, it's a very difficult situation to watch and it's, it's very upsetting. And I, I, you know, I, I I don't want to get too political, but I just I just think it's horrible that this whole thing's happening. Well, I can understand that. Now, one of the things that we've seen is when we talk with people on the radio, um, they are able to call us from Ukraine, from Russia, and we're seeing they're able to tweet or other forms of social media live images and video of some of the war, the war that's happening right in front of them. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how mobile phones have transformed the way that these wars are reported and how they're perceived by the public and the people fighting them. You know, I, I think it's just amazing the way that the mobile phone has transformed the way all news is reported. If you think about it, you know, all of us today can be reporters in an instant. You know, it used to be you would have, you know, Walter Cronkite embedded uh, with the military in, in Vietnam. And, you know, he'd shoot some film and and maybe uh, a week or two later it would get out and get get aired and, and stuff like that. You know, in or in uh, World War Two, you know, we have these old World War, World War Two films but, you know, those may have been shot and it may have been months before they were ever seen by the public. Right. Uh, and now you get people live streaming the events of the war on their Facebook page. It's, it's just incredible. We all see it every day. You know, because of all my connections over there, I flip into any of my social media and it's just flooded with images and videos uh, of things happening there. Uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing, uh, the ability and, and by the way, the ability to communicate with people over there in the instant, you know, you pull up any messaging app and in that moment, you can immediately have communications with somebody in Ukraine or Russia without any issues. Uh, and you know, it, it's not just the way that the war is being reported. It's also, uh, the way the war is being fought that's changed because of mobile phones, mm. you know, it, it if you think about it, uh, there was a the Ukrainian ambassador to the UN uh, recently uh, gave a speech in which he read out text messages between a Russian soldier and his mother, in which the Russian soldier was explaining, "Hey, I, I'm I'm in Ukraine. I'm I'm in the I'm in the real war here." And he was talking about his experiences there, you know, and 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 those were intercepted. Um, uh, you know, th this morning uh, there's a news report out that another uh, uh, Russian general 
was uh, killed along with several senior officers uh, near Kharkiv. And the way that that uh, information got out is because uh, a Russian intelligence officer was calling his boss back in Moscow to tell him what had happened. And the call was intercepted. It was made on a regular uh, phone line. And, and, and when asked, well, what happened? Why aren't you using our secure communications platform? They said, well, the secure communications was knocked out. So we're using uh, a local mobile phone uh, to call you and tell you this. And of course, the phone call was uh, intercepted uh, by uh, both the U.S. and uh, Ukrainian uh, intelligence organizations. Uh, and so we now know that this, uh, the second or maybe third Russian general has been killed in fighting in Ukraine now. Well, that is uh, really interesting, and it makes a lot of sense. I don't think a lot of people would have would have understood it in those terms, but for you putting uh, putting it that way, do you think that um, that this is sort of a the, the the modus operandi for future wars? Now, any war that takes place in the future, are we going to be able to see broadcast in real time because of mobile phones or? Are we going to see authoritarian regimes like Russia and China continue to clamp down to such an extent that that uh, real-time reporting vis-a-vis the mobile phone is not likely to occur? You know, many people have been looking at this question of of Russia's strategy regarding the telecommunications infrastructure in Ukraine because, you know, it, it wouldn't have been that hard for them to have gone in from the very beginning and just knocked out all the mobile networks. Right. Uh, figure out where the core network's located, figure out where the main data centers are, blow them up, uh, you know, uh, destroy the towers. Uh, uh, but what we're discovering is that they're leaving it in place. And, and there's a lot of theories as to why they're leaving it in place. Uh, one of them being that they expected to take over Ukraine really quickly. And so they figured they could, you know, they didn't want to destroy infrastructure. They were just going to have to come in and rebuild again. Uh, and so um, uh, when uh, now they've got a situation, though, uh, where it's still there and all this reporting is going on. Well, the next theory came out, actually discovered that the Russian secure communication system requires 3G or 4G telecommunications to be available. So they're sending it over the same mobile airwaves that everybody else is. They're just using a, a some sort of secure encryption system to do it. So I think that uh, uh, there are apparently military organizations that uh, use secure communication that's dependent on mobile networks being in place. And so I think, uh, you know, we will see uh, that continue to happen. Now, now that being said, there's there's stories that the Russians are now focused on doing shutdowns of the telco networks in specific areas. So, for example, they're trying to uh, stop all telecommunications in and out of Kharkiv because they're, you know, shelling the heck out of Kharkiv and they don't want that uh, story getting out. Uh, But it's very localized. They're not they're trying not to destroy that network. The other thing to think about is uh, it's very easy to detect a mobile phone signal. And so even as far back as 2014, when Russia first invaded Eastern Ukraine and, and Lugansk and, and those areas, they were their artillery were actually detecting mobile phone signals of the Ukrainian soldiers and using those to set targeting for their artillery fire. And so there's stories about soldiers you know, walked outside of their barracks and turned on their mobile phone and suddenly the shells started falling. You know, so I think I think it's very much changed the way that wars are getting fought, both from a communications perspective as well as in a way to 
identify the enemy. But I, I think that, you know, like everything, lessons are going to be learned by military forces around the world uh, from what's going on in Ukraine today, both in terms of the way that the facts of what's going on are being reported by, by, by the citizens, uh, as well as the weaknesses in using uh, the mobile communications network for your own military communications. And so, uh, you know, lessons will be learned and people will come up with new solutions, I imagine, over time. And if people just tuning in, we're talking with David Sinclair. He's the founder and CEO of Volta Wireless. You had this uh, really interesting op-ed that you wrote on uh, PJ Media in which you refer to big tech as the greatest threat to American freedom. Now, that's saying quite a bit. Why is big tech the greatest threat to American freedom? Well, you know, fundamentally, freedom depends on the ability to think freely, to be able to look at an idea, analyze it, evaluate it, discuss it with people, and and, and come to your own conclusion about what you think about that idea, right? Um, That's a very difficult thing to do when you don't have any privacy. You know, without privacy, you don't get freedom. And, and, And why do I say you don't have privacy? Well, if you look at it, um, when the internet first started, everybody said, oh, this is going to democratize access to information. We're going to have so much more freedom now, and everybody's going to be able to access and share all the same information, so everybody's going to be much more equal. Uh, and, and that was true early on. Uh, but then as the internet and mobile technology uh, developed further, particularly as we started getting into 2005 to 2010 and beyond, we began seeing uh, uh, the rise of the big tech companies focused on monitoring everything you were doing on the internet, everything you're doing on your mobile phone. And, and you know, what we see, you know, we talk about big tech, we're not just talking about, you know, people think Facebook and Amazon and Google, they forget about the original big tech companies. The original big tech companies are the mobile operators, the telco companies. You know, back when it was still fixed line, it was Ma Bell. They were the big tech companies, and they're still a part of that big tech group today. You know, your mobile operators monitor and keep a record of every single phone call you make or receive, every single text message you make or receive. They're required by law to keep a record of it for five years. They keep track of your location 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, they know when you woke up in the morning because probably one of the first things you did this morning was pick up your phone. Uh, you know, it, it's just really scary how much data they know every Internet search you, you make and they keep records of this stuff. Right. And, and what do they do with it? Well, they first of all, they sell it, of course. They claim that they anonymize it. But if, if you're selling somebody's anonymized records and it includes their location 24 by 7, it doesn't take that much effort to de-anonymize it. Just figuring out you know, where does this guy live? Right. That's public record. Uh, and so. um uh, they're selling it, of course, but then they're also, in many cases, providing the government access to this. There, there's, there was a, a Supreme Court ruling in 2018 specifying that uh, law enforcement needs certain uh, needs a warrant to get certain types of data, but not all data. Well, now, David, let me let me let me ask you to let me ask you to follow up on that aspect of this because one of the, I, I'm very concerned about this uh, the government spying on individual citizens, but. Um, one of the things that people that aren't concerned about always say to me and others is, well, look, I've got nothing to hide. Let them check my phone. If monitoring my phone helps them catch a terrorist or a bad actor somewhere, 
What do I have to lose? Let them do it. I want you to answer that. Why Why should everyday Americans who aren't breaking any laws, who aren't doing anything wrong, why should they be concerned that their communications are being monitored by this marriage of big tech and big government? So in a world in which the government was made up of altruistic people that were just trying to do the best for society, I would absolutely agree with you. Um, You know, many, unfortunately, the government is made up of human beings and human beings have uh, personalities and they have uh, uh, their own ideas and they have their own agendas. And, and, you know, I, I think we've seen too many reports in recent years of even organizations that used to be as highly respected as the FBI we see that people in those organizations have an agenda and will uh, take information and twist it uh, to their benefit. You know, I think a great example of this, uh, you know, it's an old movie, but it's still one of my favorites, the movie Enemy of the State. Mm. You know, in that movie, they look at the main character, and they look at everything going on in his life and look at how can I twist this to make it seem negative so that people distrust that individual so when he comes out and starts talking about what he sees going on, nobody will believe him because they've already ruined his credibility by taking everything going on in his life, even though he's doing nothing wrong, but they're twisting it in such a way to make it sound negative. But, but, but I don't think that's actually the, the biggest risk uh, to our freedom. You know, the reason why I don't identify government as the biggest risk to our freedom, I identify big tech, is actually the following. So, so the tech companies are collecting the data. But what are they doing with it? That's, that's really the important thing here. What they're doing with it, uh, if you think about the tech company business model, it's driven by engagement. You take Facebook or, or any of these platforms, frankly, they're driven by engagement. What's engagement? It's clicks, right? How long do you spend looking at your screen? That's how they sell advertising. And so they can make more money the more eyeballs they've got looking at the screen. How do they drive engagement? Well, you know, TV, the, the year of TV was put out great shows, put out great content that people will watch, right? Uh, in social media and, and, and a lot of these other platforms, they figured out engagement is not driven necessarily just by good content. Mm. It's actually driven by emotion. So if they put out positive stuff, you're going to have a warm and fuzzy feeling and you're going to go off and have a nice, wonderful day. What they're doing, in fact, though, is they realize that negative emotion uh, uh, right. Anger, it drives it drives, drives similar virality and and impressions. It's a it's a it's a real shame, David. Um, I have to run, but hopefully we can have you back soon and could continue this discussion. We didn't even scratch the surface of uh, the other subjects that I want to chat with you about. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you for having me, Frank. Uh, David Sinclair, he's the founder and CEO of Volta Wireless. Their website is uh, voltawireless.com. It sounds like they're doing some exciting things there. 